I really like basketball a lot, too much probably, and the Suns are horrible, and so there's that. But within basketball, there's this conversation about what player is the greatest of all time. Have you heard about this? In a lot of sports, people discuss this, like who's the greatest of all time? Who's the GOAT, right? And it's so nice because there's the little emoji GOAT you can put on your text messages when you're talking with your friends about this. But who's great? And usually people talk about, well, if back then they had the nutrition and the training regimens that they do now, they would have been better. And well, back then it was harder and now it's easier. So if those guys were here, they'd be better. And you get into all of these conversations about who's the greatest of all time. But I haven't ever heard any of these players debated uh, come out and state, hey, actually, I'm the greatest of all time. Thank you. Because then we would think, no, you're a loser. I'm going with the other guy, right? Nobody would do that, right? Nobody would come out and say, I'm the greatest. That's seen, well, Muhammad Ali wrote a book called that. But other than him, um, other than him, uh, it's kind of an arrogant thing to do, isn't it? When it comes to the Bible, This argument over who's the greatest of all time is something that actually plagued the disciples. These guys were arrogant, and they argued multiple times which one of them was the best disciple, which one of them was going to be the greatest. I want to show you this, because we're going to talk about service and what Jesus says true greatness looks like, but to set that up and what Jesus did, I want to talk to you about the context of the disciples and this argument that they kept having. This is just the background story of what's leading up to Jesus showing them what true servanthood looks like. In Mark 9, 33 through 37, what's happening is Jesus is walking and his disciples are all behind him. And they're arguing over which one of them is the greatest, okay? And he turns and he asks, what are you guys talking about? And this is they got embarrassed and they got silent because this is an arrogant thing to talk about, right? And Jesus is there. Obviously, he's the greatest, but they're arguing over it. He knew what they were talking about, so he said this to them. He said, listen, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. All right, teaching moment. Last of all, servant of all. This argument flares up again. In Matthew uh, 18, we read that they come to Jesus this time, and they say, which one of us is the greatest? So now they're not embarrassed about it. They want him to tell them which one's the best disciple, right? And you think about it, like, didn't these guys start off as fishermen? The humble fishermen. And there's nothing humble about these people, right? When given the opportunity to to have position, they got really arrogant about it. So they come to him and says, who's the greatest? And Jesus says this, whoever then humbles himself like this child, he's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? He used a child as an object lesson. You got to be like this, guys. It's not about great. It's about being humble, servant of all, not being first, being last. The disciples discussed this so much, and this was such a constant argument, that their family members actually wanted to know, and their family actually engaged with Jesus and told him what he needs to do. This is so embarrassing. I would hate if this was written about me. In Matthew 20, 21 through 28, James and John, right, two fishermen, their mom shows up to tell Jesus what he's going to do with her boys, This is horrible. This is super embarrassing. She comes to Jesus and she says, listen, my boys are the greatest of all time. And when you come into your kingdom, you're going to have one sit on your right. You're going to have the other one sit on your left. Would that go well with the other 10 guys? No, because they've been having this argument, right? And Peter's probably like, I'm a way better fisherman than you guys are. And I'm really like the main disciple. Who do you think you are? Your mom has to come into town and tell Jesus what he's going to do. And you think of like the guts of this woman. Like, who is she coming to tell Jesus 
have you ever told Jesus what to do? I mean, that's a weird thing to think about, right? But she did. So she tells him what he's going to do because her boys are great. The text says that the other disciples become indignant. They get really angry about this because they've been arguing over this, right? And so what does Jesus say? He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It's not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The disciples were worried about their personal greatness and their self-advancement, right? That's what was on their mind. Multiple times we're seeing this. This is the background. This is the context to this. Jesus teaches them it's about being last. It's about being a servant. It's about being a slave. It's about being humble, right? He gives object lessons. He's a good teacher. He's pulling in things they understand. People's moms get in on a conversation. Not a good idea. You'd wish that was the last time he had to talk about it, but it isn't. The disciples keep arguing over this, and I want you to turn to this text, Luke 22, verses 24 through 27. Luke 22, 24 through 27. This is really sad. This happens on the night before Jesus dies, all right? This is during the Last Supper scene. They're in the upper room, and guess what? The disciples start arguing over which one of them is the greatest again. The night before, the greatest act in human history is going to be accomplished by Jesus. They're arguing over which one of them is the greatest disciple. You see the irony in this? Luke 22, 24 through 27. It says, And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. This is embarrassing because Jesus is in the room. It's not like he's not there and they're talking behind his back. And there's this argument about who's great. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it's not this way with you. The one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who's greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. All right. The Last Supper. Communion is being instituted, right? Jesus is telling them about the new covenant. They're arguing over which one of them is the best. Jesus then says, he reminds them of all he's, he's taught them. It's about being young, like a child, being a humble servant, slave. Don't lord it over people. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're going to be last, not first. That's true greatness. And then he says something really interesting in that last verse there in Luke. He says, I am among you as one who serves. Did you see that? What did Jesus do to serve them at the Last Supper? Does anybody remember this? What did he do? What does he do? Wash his feet. Yes, he washed his feet. Did you know that the foot washing thing isn't mentioned in Luke anywhere? You can read the rest of the gospel. It's not in there. It's not in Matthew, and it's not in Mark. The foot washing thing is only recorded in the Gospel of John. When we read Luke, where we just did, Jesus says, I'm among you as one who served. The context is, these guys are arguing over their own personal greatness. Jesus gets up, washes their feet, sits back down, and says, who's better, the one who reclines at the table or the servant who's bringing the food? Obviously, the one who's reclining is greater in the world's eyes. And he says, but I'm among you as one who washes feet. That's what he's saying here. I'm among you as one who serves. 
And this is important for us because we, we need to piece together what was happening at the Last Supper. And this is also cool because don't let people tell you that the New Testament was uh, fabricated, made up, it's myth. It can't be because there's all these details in there that link together and, and make a cohesive picture, much like you'd expect from eyewitness testimony. So don't think that, that that's true. It can't be true. Luke mentions that Jesus served them in some way, but he doesn't tell us what he did. John tells us that Jesus washed their feet, but he doesn't tell us about this argument. All of it gets pieced together into a really beautiful picture of something that happened that only could be described by people who were literally there. So the problem is the disciples are concerned about their own personal greatness. And Jesus is done talking. He's done using kids as an example. He's done talking about Gentile rulers. He's going to show them through example, all right? Turn to John 13, verses 3 through 17. John 13, 3 through 17. This is where we get the foot washing scene. It says this, John 13, 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, taking the towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Okay, did you notice it starts off with Jesus knows who he is. He knows where he's from. He knows where he's going. He knows all things have been given to him. Did you see that? Jesus knows he's the greatest, right? He knows it. He knows his position. He knows he's superior to all of you and to all the disciples. He's the greatest. He's God in human flesh, right? Knowing this, he decides to take on the role of a slave. He stands up as they're arguing over who's greatest among them. He takes off his outer robe. He lays it aside. He puts a towel on his waist, which is assuming the uniform of a slave, right? He's putting on a slave uniform. Then he starts to wash their feet. Now, this is bizarre, and it's really unkosher, and it is not good etiquette in the first century. Washing somebody's feet uh, isn't something that you should do as a teacher. In fact, there are writings that tell us that the Jews outlawed a Jewish slave from being able to wash anybody's feet. It was such a bad job. It was such a derogatory thing for someone to do that they said, you can't make Jewish slaves wash anybody's feet. Gentile slaves, no big deal. That's fine. But the Jewish slaves, we have some decency, right? You cannot have them do that. It's beneath us. It's so deplorable. That can't be done. Jesus starts doing it, right? You remember um, earlier on in the Gospel of John, John 1, 27, when Jesus is walking and, and, and um, uh, John the Baptist sees him, he says a lot of things. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. You remember this. One of the things he says is, the one who comes after me is greater than me, and I'm not worthy to tie the thong of his sandal. You remember that? This is an extreme statement of humility, because to put shoes on your master was a horrible, horrible job for the lowest of the low servants. So what he's saying is, I'm not even worthy to do the worst thing in our society to this guy, <laughs> right? This is John showing humility. And that's what Jesus said was great, isn't it? Being humble like a child, right? Didn't John the Baptist also say, he must increase and I must decrease? First being last. John the Baptist got it. He got what greatness was. And actually, before he had his head chopped off, Jesus turned to the crowd and said, there's been no man born of, of, of women greater than John the Baptist. Do you remember that? 
Jesus knew John the Baptist was great because he got it. Humility, servanthood, not being first, being last. He understood it. The disciples don't. So Jesus gives them this really embarrassing, shocking object lesson by washing their feet. This is the example that he's left for us. Now, because it was such a a cultural faux pas, um, Peter speaks up, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter to wash his feet. And Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and he said to him, What I do now you don't realize, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. You notice that the disciples didn't wash each other's feet. And sometimes they get a bad rap for that. It's like, man, why didn't they show kindness or love to each other? Their feet are smelly. They're wearing sandals. They're walking around in dirt all the time. And then they're reclining at a table. They didn't use chairs like us. They're like leaning on pillows. And so your, your feet are in the other dude's face as he's trying to eat. It's not a very pleasant experience, right? I've often thought, why didn't they just man up and wash each other's feet? Come on, you know, be kind. You wouldn't do that in this culture. To wash your peers' feet was a big no, no. You can't do that. It's, it's obscene to do. So they weren't being unkind to each other. It never would have crossed their mind to do such a deplorable thing. And now here's the master wiping their filth on himself, right? And he comes to Peter and Peter says, no, like these other losers may let you do this, but I'm the greatest. You will not do this to me, right? That's what he's saying. And Jesus says to him, you don't realize what I'm doing, And if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. No inheritance, the word part, with me. And they'd been talking about inheritance before. And so Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And I love this because what he's saying before is, I'm better than these guys who let you do something so demeaning. And then Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part. And he says, okay, well, I'm better than these guys, so wash me more, right? It's not, (laughs) he's very concerned with himself. And I love how Jesus responds to him. He says, He who's bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was going to betray him, and for this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. He says, Peter, settle down. You're not better than these guys, right? Uh, Washing your feet is just good enough for what I'm trying to show you with this example. Verse 12, So when he'd washed their feet, taken his garments, and reclined at the table again, He said to them, do you know what I've done for you? This is like in Luke where he's saying, I'm among you as one who serves, right? I am greater than you, but I'm among you as one who serves. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then I, the Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Jesus shows extreme humility by demeaning himself and doing a horrible job in that culture. He couldn't have done anything lower to give an example of this. And he says, this is how you need to be, because in fact, none of you are better than me, and if I do this, you should do it. Now, how does that apply to you and me? Well, we don't really wash feet anymore, right? Other than your own, I guess. You probably should. But we don't, we don't have this. This isn't a part of our culture, right? But serving one another, being willing to do the low, lowliest job is something that Jesus has called us to. And he left us an example to do. Serving is tough. 
Serving is not always enjoyable, but it's the challenge that Jesus is giving us through this example of what he did with the disciples. The challenge is, you might know you're supposed to serve. Great, but you're only blessed if you do it. That's what he said. You know these things, you're blessed if you do them. You need to do them. I've been in ministry full-time for 13 years, and I have heard amazing excuses not to serve. And I'm sure you have too, right? It's, it's amazing. Sometimes people think that they're too good to serve. And they won't come out and say that because it sounds really bad, right? But it's awesome how many times people will come to church, their first week at church, they make it a point to tell me that they are a teacher and that God has blessed this church with their divine gift of teaching for all to hear, right? And I say, well, how are you at stacking chairs? Because we really need help with stacking chairs. And you can see right away if people want to serve or if they just want to get up in front of people and show off their greatness, right? There's a difference. There's a big difference. I'm not saying you can't serve by speaking. Of course you can. But are you willing to do the low jobs? Are you willing to be like Jesus, to be a servant of all, to not be first, to be last? Sometimes we act like we're too important or we're too good to serve. We might not say it like the disciples, but we think it. We think it. A lot of times people uh, have said to me, I I used to serve, you know, but I just didn't really feel appreciated. Have you ever heard that before? I I didn't feel appreciated. The question I always think of is, whose appreciation are you looking for? (laughs) Because if it's people, you're always going to be disappointed, right? Some weeks people are, oh, that was great, and some weeks you hear nothing, and some weeks people are mad at you, and it's not about getting appreciated by other people. It's about showing God you're obeying him and having appreciation from him, right? You're blessed by by him. He's the one that we're serving to and, and for. Jesus humiliated himself before these 12 guys. What did he get out of it? Was he appreciated? They were confused. One of his disciples told him, you don't know what you're doing, (laughs) right? I mean, no. But he did it because he was doing what the Lord had for him to do, right? Servant of all. That's true greatness. Not putting yourself up in this position to be appreciated. I've heard people a lot of times too say, you know, I was serving for a while and I just wasn't getting anything out of it. Have you heard that before? I just wasn't getting anything out of it. And I say, that's awesome because serving isn't about you. It's about serving others, right? It's about serving other people. That's the whole point. Yeah, you probably don't get anything out of it, right? But people are looking to get something. What did Jesus get out of washing the disciples' feet? Pruny hands? Foot juice? Like what, like seriously, like what did he get? Strange looks? Confusion? Opposition? What did Jesus get out of washing feet? Nothing really great, right? What did he get? He got these disciples who after he, I mean, think about this. The night before he's betrayed, instead of showing his own personal greatness and doing all these flashy miracles, he thinks it more important to do the most deplorable act he can in that culture. And then he does it for guys who all abandon him within a few hours. What did he get out of it, right? It's not about that. It's about serving the Lord because true greatness is being a servant of all. And then the last one, and the one that bugs me the most, people say, you know, I used to serve a lot, but I just got so hurt by people that I'm done. Have you ever heard this before? I've heard people say a lot, the people who've hurt me most in my life have been Christians. And I say, that's because you mostly hang out with Christians. If you hung out with non-Christians, they'd hurt you too. It's cool. Like, everybody will hurt you. It's fine. It's a human experience. 
If you're in relationship with people, you're going to get hurt by people, right? Don't use that as an excuse not to serve. I know some pastors who served the Lord and got hurt. Happens. And they just quit everything. They don't serve. They don't even attend church. They don't do anything. Why? Because people hurt me. I'm pretty sure when Jesus was washing feet, Judas was there, wasn't he? This is before he'd left. Jesus washed the feet of the guy who's going to betray him. Think about that. The guy who's going to hurt him, stab him in the back, betray him with a kiss for hardly any money. He washed that guy's feet. Why? Well, because he said true greatness is being a servant of all. Not being a servant of people who like you, being a servant of people who appreciate you, being a servant of people who you can get something out of, servant of all, which includes your enemies. Jesus literally washes the feet. He washes the mode of transportation of the guy who's going to betray him. This is like washing the car of the guy who's going to turn you in. Does this make sense? That's true greatness. Serving all out of love for your neighbor, love for your enemy. Don't use these excuses to, to stay out of serving. You're called to serve. You're supposed to serve. You know, one of the goals of our church is, is to get more people serving. You know what? We don't need it. You know what? Jesus doesn't need your service. Did you know that? He was doing an okay job before. He kind of created everything without you, right? He doesn't need me. So often people act like in ministry, you know, they're, they're irreplaceable. Oh, if, but if I wasn't at Desert Spring, or if I wasn't a part of this, or if it, oh man, the whole thing would just fall apart. That's posturing your own personal greatness. The truth of it is, God lets us be part of what he's doing. If I wasn't at this church, if you weren't at this church, you know what would happen? Jesus would keep getting preached by somebody. <laughs> people would keep serving because he promised the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. He's, he's, he's the factor, not us. But he lets us be a part of what he's doing. And it's blessed if we join in. It's blessed for us if we are a part. If you know these things, awesome, good for you. But you're blessed if you do them. That's what he said to his disciples. He taught them these things over and over and over again. And they didn't get it. They knew it, but they didn't do it. They didn't do what he'd said. We can't let our personal context, our personal background, keep us from doing what we know we're supposed to do. Jesus' brother James, when he wrote his letter, James, later on, you remember what he said? He said, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. It's the same thing Jesus is saying here. You know it, that's awesome, good for you. If you don't do it, it means nothing. You're blessed if you do it. These excuses can rob us of being able to take part in what God is doing. We need to be people who actually believe what Jesus said. If we call ourselves followers of him, we should be willing to do the things that he did, right? Why? Because a servant is not greater than the master. You are not better than Jesus. And you'd all admit that. But do we really put that into action? Do we do it with our service? We need to be serving. Let's not merely know it. Let's go out and live it. It's 10.29 a.m. by that clock. Steve usually goes for another 10, 15 minutes. We're going to end early today because today is Ministry Fair Sunday. You see all these ministry signs hung up all over. If you're new here, we don't have these signs up every week. 
but representatives from all these ministries are going to be at the tables around because we have a place for you to join in with what God's doing here at the church. There's a place for you to serve. If you don't serve, guess what? God's going to continue his mission. But don't you want to join in? Don't you want to be a part of what's going on? There's opportunities for us to serve here at the church, and we want you to get involved. Not because we need it, not because God needs it, because you need it. Because it's blessed to serve. We're going to end early so that you can go to these tables and you can talk with people and you can see if that ministry fits you, if it fits with your schedule, if it's something you're passionate about. But sign up today to serve somewhere. You need to serve. You were made to serve. And by trying to chase down your own personal greatness without considering the words of Jesus of what greatness is, it's just a a really um, faulty, fake way to chase after anything. It's vapor. It's nothing. Seek after what Jesus says and serve well. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them.